In the online discussion following the death of two wingsuit base jumpers last weekend in Yosemite, which was sad, obviously, someone wrote, quote, they did not know what they were doing, but it just, or no, they did know what they were doing, but it just seems crazy. If you want an extreme life, dot, 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 have kids. (laughs) Now, all parents here can appreciate the point. Parents, however, unlike extreme base jumpers, don't go from one stunt or adventure to the next, taking time to plan and wait for the right conditions, charging the GoPro, and so on. Their whole life with their children is an adventure, a constant and never-ending one. From trips to the hospital for x-rays on a badly sprained ankle, to piano recitals, to a child's scary dream that keeps up both the child and the parent in the middle of the night for a couple of hours, to an ordinary but somewhat rushed dinner around the family table, to sibling fights, to scripture memory and prayers, to emotional meltdowns, to watering the garden. And this is just a snapshot of my house this last week, and it's all true, (laughs) mind you. Having children is an extreme life. Children, that's our topic for tonight as we continue our sermon series entitled Relationships and Sex. And we're not just going to talk about the adventure of children. But my hope is to root our approach to thinking about children as the people of God in the broader biblical context in which we find them, which will mean affirming two things tonight. First, that children are a blessing from the Lord. And second, that children are a responsibility to parents and more broadly to God's people, the church. Let me address first, if you're here tonight and children are not currently a possibility in your life either because you're not married or you are married and it's not possible at the moment. And I want to say three things to you from the get-go tonight. First is we, we know this is a cause for grief, as children are a blessing and a gift from the Lord. And I want to be clear that, that we as the church want to grieve that with you and not make you feel isolated in that grief. Second, at the same time, as we've seen throughout this series already and we will continue to see, The the nuclear family, and therefore having children, is not the biblical answer to loneliness and our needs for intimacy or purpose. Jesus and his body, the church, are. And I hope to come back to this more explicitly next week. And thirdly, to say that everyone in the family of God, whether you have children or you don't have children, has a part to play in the raising of children in the church family, which means that you do as well. So having said that, let me start with the first point, the fact that children are a blessing. We read Psalm 127. Many of you know the first verse from that psalm because it's one of our favorite verses at Church of the Cross. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. But the third verse says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. And these words of blessing about children harken back to Genesis 1 verse 28 where we read, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So God blessed them and then God says, go and have children. God's blessing includes the blessing of procreation, of being fruitful and multiplying. So the biblical word affirms that children are in fact a blessing. But obviously saying that children are a blessing can mean a lot of different things, depending on the way that we take it. Some people would actually say that children are a blessing because they fulfill my need for love, or they give me a reason to live. 
Or perhaps more practically, they assure my long-term care, as a friend of mine said to me after Chloe was born. We were on the phone. Uh, facetiously, obviously. Um, or they give me hope for significance that I missed in my own life. Thus, the parents who drive their children to succeed. Mandy and I recently heard a story, and this is no joke, about parents who made their child sleep on the porch because he got a B. Obviously extreme, but that kind of impulse can find its way into lots of parenting. In, a 2000, uh, in the year 2000, in a Times Magazine interview, Michelle Pfeiffer said, expressed this self-word orientation about children when she said, I'm one of those people who needed to have children. I needed to have that center to my life, that base. Now, to be honest, our reasons for having children are multifaceted and complex. But it's important that we see the underlying problem with self-directed reasons for having children, for seeing those reasons as the reasons that children are a blessing. It's because they turn children into means for our end. That's never the way to treat another human being, obviously. And placing our expectations, our needs, our sense of worth or identity upon a little human being is a recipe for heartache. And this isn't to say, obviously, that children don't bring love, warmth, and laughter into our lives, along with a good dose of heartache, pain, and suffering, as any parent would say. They do, in fact. Children are wonderful. They're implicitly trusting and accepting. They're so quick to forgive. They're hilarious without meaning to be hilarious, which is part of what makes them so hilarious. They generally love to hug and to snuggle. And while all these things are wonderful and great... They're not the reasons for having children or the reasons that children are a blessing. To think rightly about the blessing of children, we need to anchor it within the broader context of God's purposes for humanity. The blessing of procreation of children was given to humanity in the context of a task. We looked at this a few weeks ago in our first series in this sermon on marriage out of Genesis 1 and 2. The task given to humanity in Genesis 1 is the service of God through responsible rule and dominion over his creation. As his image bearers, reflecting his glory through the way that we exercise that rule and dominion. Or if you'd like to put it in the terms of through the way that we make culture. That we take the inherent potential in creation and use it for the blessing of the common or for the common good. Marriage then as we saw in Genesis 2 is a God-designed institution intended to enable husband and wife to fulfill this task together, to serve God and to serve neighbor. And an integral part of the way that husband and wife do that is through procreation. So God enables Adam and Eve to produce and nurture additional image bearers who will extend humanity's ability to cultivate the garden, to serve God, To fulfill the task. So the blessing of children. Is the blessing of being able to participate. In a a more expanded way. In God's purposes for humanity. In the world. And to participate in a direct and primary way. In other words this blessing isn't primarily about us. And it's also not primarily about our children. And it's easy for us as parents to make that mistake and make life entirely about our children in an unhealthy way. But the blessing of children is ultimately the blessing 
a blessing that's oriented to God so that humanity's task can be fulfilled. And we all, fathers and mothers in particular, but all of us have a part to play in this blessing. It's an awesome and a humbling reality. So children are a blessing, which brings me then to the second point, that children are a stewardship or a responsibility entrusted to parents and to the people of God. Christopher Ashe, in his book, Marriage, Sex, and the Service of God, writes this. He says, it's not enough that, potential baby, that baby potential gardeners should be born. They must be taught to garden, to relate to the creator, to learn his will, and thus to till the garden in accordance with that will. That is, we don't just have children, celebrate the blessing, and then move on to get on with our careers. That's the easy part, if you will. Rather, and the harder part, is having had children, then being responsible before God to raise them up in the ways of Jesus. This happens through substantial instruction, discipline, and nurture, which is a great responsibility. We see this in both Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We read from Deuteronomy 6 tonight, which exhorts parents to teach their children the ways of God diligently. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. A bit later we read that when the son one day asks the parent, why is it dad that we live this way or why is it mom that we do all of these things? That the parent is to respond by saying, God redeemed us from slavery in Egypt and brought us out into this wonderful and fruitful land. And it's because we have a God who loves us so much and a God who's rescued us from our bondage to, 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 to slavery. It's because of his love for us and his initiative with us that we live in this way, my child. To tell the story of redemption over and over and over again. Of being the rescued people who now live our lives for the God who rescued us. Similar exhortations are given in Psalm 78. And this parent-centered model of discipleship is also assumed in the book of Proverbs, where father and mother teach the children the ways of our God. Then when we come to the New Testament, we see it explicitly stated in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, it says, and this would certainly apply to both fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or we see it again in the essential role that Timothy's grandmother Lois and mother Eunice played in raising up Timothy as a child of God. Paul says in in 2 Timothy 3.15, he says that Timothy has from childhood been acquainted with the sacred writings, implied because of your grandmother and your mother's faith and faithfulness, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The parents have a tremendously critical role in raising up children with the spiritual nurture that's required to produce little image bearers who would till the garden in accordance with the will of God. Parents are called to faithful loving nurture and while it does include instruction which the biblical texts tend to emphasize when they address this role of parents in the lives of their children it also includes modeling because we know that so much more of what children learn is caught rather than taught which means that parents are to model a life of prayer, of thanksgiving, of saying that we're sorry and asking for forgiveness, of engaging scripture, of telling the truth, and so on. 
So a huge part of this responsibility is the responsibility of being who we are called to be as image bearers ourselves. Because our children will literally mirror us in many ways. Every single parent here knows the sinking feeling in their stomach when they watch one of their children repeat one of their own bad habits or engage in one of their own sinful tendencies. It's caught. They're watching. Raising children, being a part of producing the next generation of image bearers who till the garden in accordance with the will of God is then obviously no small task. It requires tremendous attention, focus, time, and creativity. And it's generally not accompanied by awards or banquets or praises. It can often clash with our God-given sense of vocation, that is, our work. But it is every bit important, and actually, I would argue, even more important than our work. We always think that our work is so important. But as soon as we leave our job, our company, or our organization seems to get along just fine without us in the position that we were in. And there's some kind of like, you know, dose of reality when we realize that. But here's the deal. No one else can be your child's father. And no one else can be your child's mother. God has uniquely called you, if you're a parent, to that work. Which means that discipling children is not a peripheral call, but a primary call for those of us who are married and have children. Whatever the configurations of our practical lives, investing in, being present for, and listening to our children, giving them the godly nurture that they need to become responsible image bearers, this needs to feature at the top of our list of priorities. Now, I know that most parents find this responsibility to be a bit crushing. I remember driving Chloe home from the hospital in Oxford, England, where we were living at the time. Uh, She had the best ride ever because we were in an old mini, you know, not the new ones, but the old tiny ones, driving home and just feeling this kind of crushing weight of responsibility, mainly that I'd never realized that driving was so dangerous until that moment, (laughs) but also much bigger than that of, oh my, somebody's in the world dependent upon Mandy and me to care for I wonder if this is part of the reason, the the, the weight of this responsibility, as to why God makes children so cute and lovable and huggable to kind of compensate for the weight of having to raise them. Um, I honestly have never met a parent who didn't feel inadequate, at least in some ways. We all feel our shortcomings. We all feel the powerful narratives of our culture and our own tendencies toward sin and selfishness shaping us and therefore then shaping our children much more than we want them to. Parenting is a humbling role. And I want to encourage you, if you're a parent here, and you feel deeply humbled by parenting, to remember that whatever our failings are, that we are all in the end dependent upon the grace and mercy of God. Which means, one, that we should never, ever give up hope for our children and for us as parents, no matter how old our children are or how far off track we think they are or how poorly we think we've done. But it's Pentecost. And so I want to say thanks be to God that there is help for such a challenging task. 
We give thanks today because God in his mercy and grace didn't leave us alone to fulfill this massive cultural mandate of going out and doing the work that he's called us to do as his image bearers, which none of us can do in our own strength. Thanks be to God that he sends forth his spirit upon his church to enable you and me to live out the vocations and callings and responsibilities that God has entrusted to us as his image bearers, that we can live them out in his way for his purposes, for his glory, and not just for our own sinful or selfish ends. That's what we celebrate on the day of Pentecost. And so first, if you're a parent, celebrate the fact that the spirit of God has come to dwell in you. To enable you to take up this responsibility faithfully. Not because you can. Not because you're the best. But because the spirit of God dwells in you and empowers you to do this. By the grace and mercy of your loving and heavenly father. He dwells in you to enable you to be patient when you're exhausted. To resist the temptation to express your anger in a hurtful way toward your child. He gives you the grace to humble yourself when you've made up when you've made a wrong and slipped up with your children, to go to them and apologize and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? This is the power of God. And this same spirit we read about in Acts 2, Peter, as he quotes the book of Joel, the prophet Joel, says that the spirit will be poured out on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, which is pertinent to what we're talking about tonight. Because what Peter's declaring at Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit doesn't just dwell in the parents to enable them to do the work of parenting, but the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in our children to also enable them to do the work of submitting to and obeying their parents, of being grown in the fear and instruction of the Lord, of learning the ways of Jesus as a child, and of cooperating with their parents in the work of cultivating the garden. And that's good news. And just like we don't always see the spirit in ourselves, we also don't always see the spirit in our children. But we can affirm today on Pentecost that there is real help in this work and task and responsibility of parenting. And a third area of help is all of us, the people of God. I remind us generally each week as we bring the children up to pray for our children that they are our collective responsibility to raise up in the ways of Jesus as a family because we are a family. This is the whole it takes a village thing. At the baptism of children, we promise to uphold these children in growing in the ways of Christ, to doing everything in our power to uphold the children of our community in growing up in the ways of Jesus. I ask you this question on these days of baptism of children. Will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support this child in growing and walking in the ways of Christ? And we do this because we are a family. And the children in this family are our responsibility. We're all, if you will, engaged in the extreme sport of child rearing. And sure, children are the primary responsibility of the parents... I mean, if you want to get in trouble, just start to parent somebody else's child. But all of us take the posture of Jesus toward children, who said in Mark 10, let the little children come to me. And then he took them in his arms and he blessed them. He noticed the little ones. When his disciples were trying to keep them away because they weren't important enough, they weren't significant enough, Jesus sees them, grabs them, blesses them. And if you're here tonight and you don't have children of your own, 
then know that the Holy Spirit resides in you. And through the Spirit's power in you, that you can be a part of nurturing and instructing the children of this community at Church of the Cross. And every parent here will thank you for the part that you play in that process. I'm not saying that every one of you needs to participate in children's ministry or nursery by any means, though it's such a gift and we are thankful for those of you who do. But to recognize Jesus' attitude toward children, children, mind you, that were not his biological offspring, and to ask yourself if you share his heart for the children in your life, including the children in this community. I love having four kids in Church of the Cross because I love the role models of a godly, honest, faithful life that my children can look up to at Church of the Cross. And I long for all of you to play this role well, not just for my children, but for all the children, born and many unborn right now, who are coming in to this community. So in short, the spirit-filled community of God's people is the place where children are to be nurtured in the ways of Jesus, formed into faithful image bearers to take up their place in God's world. And this responsibility, yes, rests squarely upon the parents, but those parents are upheld by the broader family of God. So in conclusion, children are a great and good blessing oriented to God by growing into those who exercise responsible dominion in God's creation. The blessing, yes, is the responsibility of parents, but also shared by the people of God. And as it's carried out faithfully, God's purposes are advanced. And we all together find blessing. And our world finds blessing through the empowerment of the Spirit in the people of God. So I want to say a few final things in conclusion. First, because children are a blessing, it's a, this blessing is to be embraced and not shunned or avoided. Child-rearing is a part of the responsibility that we have. And the blessing of this is to be embraced by married couples as an integral part of marriage. It's important that Christian couples affirm this general design. And generally, that affirmation comes in the very real way by having children themselves. Sometimes, however, obviously that's not possible. The statistics are something like one in every seven to ten couples wrestles with infertility. And there can be also situations where this explicit affirmation of having children is intentionally not taken. I would say this, that within the Christian understanding of children, we should never not take the step of having children simply because they'll be a burden to us or a hindrance to our career ambitions or other ways of choosing a lifestyle that we like kind of freedom from responsibility. But one can certainly imagine situations where due to mental or physical health, a couple deeply affirms the nature of marriage as a child-rearing institution, but forgoes that blessing as a part of wisdom. Oliver, Oliver O'Donovan in his book, Resurrection and Moral Order, envisions just such a possibility. And I think we have to acknowledge that there is such a possibility in the church for a choice like that. But obviously not as the norm. Because children are a blessing, I generally, if you've done premarital counseling with me, I advise married couples to start having children earlier as opposed to later. That's not a rule or a word from the Lord. It's just advice from me. But 
It's nonetheless advice that I give because of the goodness of children, the blessing of children. And if you're sitting here thinking, you know, we're just not ready, I'll say, well, no one's ever ready to really have children. Life can never be that simple and we'll never have it all together. And it's really interesting that in Genesis 1.28, when God gives the blessing and then says, be fruitful and multiply, that the very next verses talk about how much God has provided for them. You have every plant, every tree to eat from. All your needs will be taken care of. Now go, be fruitful and multiply. So don't be afraid and don't think that everything has to line up perfectly. Second thing to say is children are not a right, but a blessing given within a particular context. And this has ramifications for who should have children. In general, children are a gift given within the context of marriage between a man and a woman. And to disconnect children from that context of marriage, as we have done in many ways as a society, is, from a biblical perspective, at a minimum, at least highly problematic. Now, obviously, this isn't a sermon on the ethics surrounding all of these issues and questions, but it at least needs to be mentioned when we're talking about children. I'm not saying that God can't, in specific situations, ever call single people into situations of being primary caregivers of children. But I am saying that this is not the norm. That the norm is a man and a woman in marriage as the place for the raising of children. Third thing to say, married couples with children or single parents in the room. Ask yourselves if you're putting enough emphasis upon your children. Do they feature in your prayers, in your calendar, in your creative thinking? It's easy sometimes to spend more time thinking and obsessing about our careers than it is about the development and growth of these precious little lives that have been entrusted to us. And that's an imbalance that I hope in many ways that this message will encourage us, all of us, to address and to change by the grace of God. Talk it over with your spouse. Or if you're a single parent, talk it over with a close friend. And ask for God to help you more faithfully take on this significant role of being a parent in your life. Fourth and last, and to all of us, I want to encourage us to continue to be the kind of community where children are prioritized and welcomed. I've always thought that Church of the Cross has so much to give to children of all ages. And I want us to pray that God would bring more and more children into our community whom we can love and serve as a body and encourage and exhort for them to, ra- to be raised up in the ways of Jesus. That as we pray each week, many of them might never know a day apart from you. Children are a great blessing and they're a great responsibility. And life with children in our community is an extreme life and a full life and an unpredictable life. A life that we want to embrace with gratitude and eagerness for the glory of God. Amen.